What's up, everybody? Welcome to the TAM Venture Capital Podcast. My name is Fernanda Sesto. I was born and raised in Uruguay, but I've been in the United States since 2019. I came to the States to study, and in May, I graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Business and a minor in Computer Science from the University of Rochester. Now I'm continuing my studies doing a Master's in Business Analytics at the Simon Business School. I'm very passionate about entrepreneurship, technology, and building things. I've been involved in the startup community for about four years now, doing different fellowships and internships. I created this podcast because I want to empower potential investors with insights into LATAM's thriving landscape and also guide Latin American entrepreneurs through the intricacies of US VC dynamics. I interview investors and entrepreneurs to learn more about their career backgrounds, market thoughts, and provide guidance to anyone who's interested in investing in Latin America. In this episode, I talked to Pablo Gutierrez, the CEO and co-founder of Coy Ventures. Prior to founding Coy Ventures, Pablo worked in Bain as a consultant for two years, co-founded a startup in Argentina that was acquired, did his MBA at the Columbia Business School in New York City, and worked in Techstarts, one of the largest accelerators in the world. He's also a general partner of Calais Ventures, an early stage venture capital fund that invests across Latin America. I've been interning at Coin Ventures since June, so it was really nice to talk to Pablo and learn more about the creation of the firm and incubator. Hi, Pablo, how are you? Great, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Uh, where are you right now, in Argentina? Or... I'm in Buenos Aires, Argentina. In Buenos Aires, okay, nice. So can you um, give me a quick introduction about yourself and what you guys do at Koi Ventures and Koi Academy? Great, uh, would love to. Uh, thanks for all, thanks for the invitation to share about uh, our story and, and love to say hi to your, your community here. So um, a bit about myself and Koi Ventures. So, I like to think that I was always a problem solver. Uh, I have this memory of me as a 10-year-old kid drawing in a piece of paper a solution to the toilet tap, you know, because it's, uh, it's always annoying to put it up and down. It's, it's dirty and it's... And I, I designed this kind of pedal, sort of that where, where you would like stand up and, and the tap will, will go up, right? Uh, and I will always be drawing these type of solutions. And once a, a friend of the family told me that if that design eventually would be a product uh, and you started selling it and eventually uh, you could make out like a company out of that, that's called entrepreneurship. And I saw entrepreneurship as a way to maximize this kind of natural interest that I, that I had. Uh, to do these kind of inventions. So I um, designed my career towards that, to be an entrepreneur. And that was pretty much my early days as a, as a professional. But quite pretty early on, uh, in my first entrepreneurial experience, I realized that I was quite generalistic to be an entrepreneur. And I was... I felt claustrophobia with, to be laser focused in only one startup. So 
I wanted to be designing solutions and, and inventions for other stuff, not just the one that I was working on. And that's when I uh, got in touch with the VC world. My company was uh, sold to a large company. And I was like, hey, but these VC guys are, it's quite interesting. They, they, they are able to invest in many projects and, and companies. And that's, that's what I want to do. So I started, I, I pivoted my career towards the venture capital world. I started my first fund in 2020. Uh, three years ago and quite soon I realized that I was too much of an entrepreneur to be just an investor <laughs> so I was also kind of it was not the place where I would fulfill my my entrepreneurial interest so a few years within the first fund I talked with my partners and told them that I wanted to do something more entrepreneurial, maybe like a company builder or a startup studio. Uh, I pitched that idea to the internally, and apparently it was not a good pitch because <laughs> they wouldn't go for it. Oh. But we, we found an agreement where I could start doing that on on my on, on the side, and that's when I started developing Koi as a company builder, a place where, and that's what what that's what Koi. Uh, the, the holding group is today. It's, it's a space where me and others, we can collectively build uh, whatever inventions uh, we want to do, whatever dreams we want to pursue. And that's how it all started. We started as a, as a company builder. I'm, much, I'm me understanding that I was more, I liked more the creative process and not the operational. I realized that I, had, I needed to have two partners someone in operations, that is Millie, my sister, who you met, and a CTO to actually develop these ideas because they were mostly have like a, an important tech uh, aspect on them. We had several conversations and we decided to jump into this startup, uh, the three of us as co-founders. We started almost a year ago. We are, we are pretty, pretty new. And what started as a company builder to build uh, startups, quite soon uh, evolved to a startup studio where we could build whatever. And since then, we built a startup academy, which provides educational programs for entrepreneurs in different stages of the life cycle. From we have incubators, boot camps, and soon we will have accelerator and different programs tailored to different stages of the for the entrepreneur. We have a VC fund that invests in these entrepreneurs. Uh, we have a foundation where we have NGOs. We also do art projects. We like to think it's pretty wide, the things that we do uh, in terms of technology, arts, science, holistic wellness, uh, social and uh, environmental impact. Uh, those are the like most of the different verticals where we focus our energy. It's a space where if anyone comes with a new idea and we like what's the intention of that idea, what they are aiming to build and how they want to build it and who is building it, we always try to find a way to collaborate and, and 
do our part on, for that idea to come true in a way. Yeah. So and that's cool. Yeah, thank you. No, that was very, very interesting story how you like walk me through that. And I think that I definitely resonate with you on the idea that I also like working with different startups and also like the idea of not just investing and like working on the finances and like that's the money that's it, but becoming an active partner. And that's why I also really like COVID so far as well, um, working with you guys in the bootcamp. Uh, so in terms of metrics and like criteria that you guys use like for startups when you're evaluating them, what are some key things that you look for in founders or the startups and their business model? Great question. So as I mentioned before, uh, there are like different stages in the life cycle of, of everything actually, but also in, in startups. And the way we looked at it, it's like maybe a baby, a, a teenager, a young, person and an adult and uh, the baby would be with someone with an idea not really having a product or sales and that's where we have a bootcamp uh, then we have an incubator when they're like more like teenagers and they start to sell but still looking for their identity and place in the world and we're developing an accelerator for the more of the kind of young or adult for more traction and these metrics and numbers Usually will be the same. We will look for them in the same kind of criteria, but a different goal. Similar to how it works like in a school where you will be teaching you know, math and literature, etc. And the, the signatures will be the same, but the criteria will be will increase every, you know, it's not the same primary school and high school, etc. So the five, the five kind of signatures that we look for are usually team, product, traction, fundraising, is to fundraise, and the impact. These are the signatures. The metrics will change depending on the stage of the life cycle. For the first one, we love if they have like some kind of customer feedback, but usually they don't have revenues. When you are in more in a product market fit, we would like to have some revenues usually it's in the range of 1K per month up to 10, 20K per month. If it's in for the accelerator and it's like, okay, you're starting to find some product market fit, it's more between 10K and 50K. Probably. That's in terms of uh, traction. So in terms of team for the first stage, we, we for example, we believe lots of in, in teams of founders. So we usually tend to, to prioritize when you have at least two co-founders. Um, but when you're in the first stage, maybe if you are one co-founder, like a solo founder is okay. And you don't even have to be full-time. Maybe you have like a job, a part-time job, and you're like working on this idea uh, and you are still doing some you know, tests and, and stuff. For the second stage, the product market fit one, we ask for at least one founder to be full-time. And here, yes, we prioritize when you have at least two co-founders. And usually you have like one team member. And for the accelerator, you have to have at least two co-founders and, uh, and a few employees. And that's in terms of uh, team. In terms of uh, fundraising and, and runway and money in the bank, uh, for the first stage, we don't ask that. <clears throat> for the first one, 
ideally they, they have some money in the bank and at least you know 12 months 12 months of runway and sometimes we, we in the first one we try to prepare them to raise a friends and family round in the second one we try to help them to prepare to raise a pre-seed round and in the third one we prepare them to raise a seed round or a series a so we need to understand that they are like in this path to path path in it has a clear path to this round no so we help them prepare between six to twelve months uh, we, we need to understand that and to believe that if we, if we were together between six and 12 months, they will be able to raise this, this type of round. We value a lot the, in the first stage, we value a lot the who, who is the person behind this project. In the second one, we value a lot the who and the what they want to do, like what problem they are trying to solve like the vision of the company and we are very much we we invest in only in mission purpose impact driven entrepreneurs and the what has to be somehow aligned to our vision of the world what we what i mean is uh, we believe in a world where we will be much more connected first with within ourselves second between persons and third with the whole ecosystem, right? So if we believe that this project, uh, in case of being successful, will will drive this, the world as it is, at least a bit closer to this world we would like to live in, that's a what that we like, right? Mm -hmm. And in the third stage, it's not only the who, the who and the what, but also the how, how they are building it. In the, in the third stage, this accelerator, uh, we value more uh, the, the traction that they have, the, the, not only the vision, but also the mission. How they want to achieve this purpose that will bring the world a bit closer to, what, uh, to the world that we would like to, lead, to live in, right? So that's mostly between uh, what we look for, depending on the stage, each uh, startup is some examples and metrics mm -hmm. yeah no thank you that that's great so if so you have the first stage is the boot camp the second is the incubator and the third is the accelerator just to right okay awesome yeah no i think it's uh interesting how you know you look at startups depending on each stage it's interesting to also like what type of metrics and I think that like adding more questions to the table is like, okay, we care about the how at the last stage, but then we don't care so much about that in the first stage. I think, yeah, I think that's very well thought out and definitely is also helpful for startups to be uh, thinking, you know, kind of like walking through each stage and be thinking about those things because it's like, it's a process for them as well, you know? Not just from like an investor, or like an incubator perspective, but as a founder, I think it's also helpful to have those type of uh, questions at the right moment. So yeah, you guys work with purpose-led impact startups and you have five verticals, as you mentioned, right? Within that, what is some advice like when, for people who are outside Latin America and are interested in investing in impact startups, right? So maybe US-based investors or European European investors, what are some things that maybe they should look out for when it comes to working with impact startups specifically? Because 
we talked a lot about impact in Latin America, I think, because the, the type of problems that these entrepreneurs are solving in Latin America are usually quite like basic and important because Latin America is an undeveloped region still. So how do entrepreneurs, like what are some challenges that they face? Like what are some things as an investors you gotta look for when you work with impact startups? The way I see it, at least, what happens in Latin America is that except for for Brazil, uh, markets are, are really small. So what naturally happens for, and this works for, for not only impact entrepreneurs, but, but for most entrepreneurs, is that usually it's, it's very smart and efficient to start locally because usually you have you know the market, you have friends and family, it's easy to hire, you know the pain. So you, usually most entrepreneurs, especially first-time entrepreneurs, um, would start locally, at least regionally or something, sometimes globally, right? So, and this is the type of entrepreneurs that we will we like to work with. When if we work with if you are talking with an entrepreneur in Latin America that is his time or or, or the clients or, or the way he structures his vision is to solve something in one of these countries like in Argentina or in Chile or in Colombia, probably they will fall short. And when you relate this to our vision of impact. And the big sol the problems that we are trying to solve, unlike most impact entrepreneurs, so this is a very kind of personal vision. First of all, for many entrepreneurs and, and many investors, especially outside of, the, of Latin America, but also in Latin America, investing in emerging markets, it's impact by itself because you will create a lot of quality jobs. And usually you have like a very kind of positive ecosystemic uh, impact when you create a, a unicorn, for example, because they're like, not you're not just creating a lot of jobs, but a lot of other jobs and a lot of, a lot of other startups and, and this they will become, and this and, and it's true that this create a great positive impact in, in most emerging markets, right? The same is in Africa and in Middle East, etc. What happens with us is that we, we have this vision of the world that is a, a global vision of the world, where we would like, when, when we see how people eat, for example, or how people sleep, or how people are each time physically le less healthy because of all the time that we spend in the computer or sitting in our own position, or, or when we see the interactions between people, so between companies or between countries, when we see the world between the US and China, and when, when we see climate change and, and how we are treating our planet, these are things that happen globally. And the reason of why we start with entrepreneurs in Latin America is mostly because we know the region, uh, we can connect, it's easy for us, and we help them thrive in regions where they are specifically difficult. But most times the problems that we are more we are more excited about are are global problems problems that make a lot of sense to be solved with people starting in emerging markets because many times are problems that are very hard to to make money with so also addressing this in 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 poor markets and poor countries 
enables you to to develop an idea and an, and a minimum viable product, no? the famous MVP, uh, with uh, very low expenses. Mm. So if you raise just a bit of money uh, in this local market, you have a you can have a great runway, and if eventually you can start developing this and get some traction with this crazy uh, disruptive idea on how to change the world eventually when you're strong enough you can go and address uh, larger markets uh, and raise a proper round and so that's something i would like to recommend for those investors that are looking for impact in emerging markets how it's easier to the to do a lot with less especially in countries where where entrepreneurs shows a lot of resilience. Uh, so if you are a mission-driven and purpose-driven entrepreneur in a poor market that you have shown a lot of resilience, in my opinion, their chances of success are much higher than trying to do, do the same in, a, in another market, in a, in a much more uh, developed market. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's interesting for sure. Um, and yeah, I, every time I talk to an investor from Latin America, we always say that investing in Latin America or like working with founders in Latin America, yeah, like the problems that they're solving are already related to the basic things. So that they are already impactful because the by nature, you know, the, the type of problems that we have in Latin America or in Africa, like in emerging markets per se. So I think that's really interesting personally. And I also, why I also, well, I'm Latin American myself, but I also like working with emerging markets because all these problems are kind of already solved in like markets like the US or Europe. So there's more opportunity to create more impact in all these other regions. And, and I, yeah, and like the resilience aspect of the entrepreneurship is also something that I haven't personally I thought much of but it it does make sense that since the conditions also where entrepreneur starts a company um in an emerging markets are more are harsher than in in other places where there there's much much more um many more resources much more capital it's kind of not easier but because there's more competition as well but it's it's a different environment right like starting a company in the US where you have tons of investors, tons of resources. Um, I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but, but yeah, like last question is like, um, what are some startup trends that you are excited in Latin America? And like, what are some type of business models that you think are being more successful there? I'm quite optimistic about Latin America for the coming decades uh, in a in a world which is like from a geopolitical perspective there is a growing tension between two very large models right um, one led mostly by the US one led mostly by China and Europe is kind of caught in the middle of these of these tensions, 
Africa has like lots of difficulties and, and have maybe like a, a bit less infrastructure and energy and and civil and domestic affairs. So from this geopolitical perspective, I see Latin America as, as a place which has like lots of natural resources, lots of water, lots of food, super fertile soil, uh, far away from from Bellic and, and war uh, perspectives uh, and has quite decent infrastructure and education to to build many of the solutions uh, that are to come and, and, and are can, can come from times of peace and, and this type of... So from this geopolitical perspective, um, I think that all that is related to food and agri-food tech, of course, uh, because it's one of the biggest producers of food in the world. Same with different type of uh, mineral resources, such as copper, lithium, etc. All that's commerce related and e-commerce and, and marketplaces. Those are like the most obvious. I feel that I'm more, uh, that I'm personally, and, that, and I'm personally not so interested in those. Ones that I'm more interested in those, they are first, uh, Web3, we have like a lot of, uh, of the biggest and brightest Web3 developers, artificial intelligence, blockchain, crypto, metaverse. Not so much that I know in quantum computing so far, but the whole internet of the, of the future, I think it's coming and I think we are well positioned for, for that. In terms of wellness uh, from a holistic perspective, and that is somehow related to food, but it's also related to uh, ancestral wisdom. And I think that this, in terms for, for peace, I think Latin America is very well positioned and showing you know, butterfly in Chile is a, is a good example for that. That's in terms of verticals. In terms of models, a personal one that I'm liking a lot is this combination of, uh, is what is called a uh, physical. This combination of product and service, this combination of, of uh, yeah, a full digital product such as Slack, uh, but with a combination of uh, a more humanized experience and a, a more service to create more engagement. M many of these digital that could be you know, Duolingo or Headspace, even Betterfly. Uh, it's very hard to find this engagement from the from the from the user when you put a, a bit of human and service into that i think you have the best of both worlds where you have the scalability and efficiencies of, of the technology where one person can attend a lot of people so the, the cost of that human is very low but also the 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 experience and that I'm super interested on. And the second model, that model that I'm very interested on is all the different appliances of, of decentralization. And so these are, these can be applied for governance within a company where uh, each person is much more kind of empowered. 
but also it can be applied for, for business models, right? So different like technology is the way we apply science for uh, practical experience. And science is not just the digital. When, people, when we talk about technology, people think about digital things, right? It's also applied for more uh, social sciences. So, for example, the way we organize ourselves in a more decentralized way, yeah. it's technology. If, even if there, if it's just you can see just as two human beings talking, if they are organized in a different way, uh, this is science too. And the way we can apply uh, decentralization for that, I'm not sure if it's going to happen in you know, political parties or or the private sector or or how we organize companies itself, even even communities. I'm looking into that and I'm like, I think this world we we want to build might be very much aligned to that because centralized institutions within most institutions that we know, religion, politics, even companies, are shown show that when there's a there's centralized position with a lot of power and fame, uh, the chances for this institution to remain successful uh, and healthy and transparent for people to be working for the purpose of the space instead of the purpose of themselves is very hard. The chances are very low. This new decentralized organization that we are seeing, I think, are a great disruptive innovative approach, new approach, so we still don't know how much they are going to work. But so far, I like what I see. I, I like a different approach for a mm -hmm. problem that, that, that this there for, and it has been there for the last, like for thousands of years, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, like back to your first interest, Web3, right? And blockchain, I think also those digital technologies are also helping or like creating a platform for society to also reorganize themselves and like decentralize the system. I think, you know, seeing more data infrastructures and, and more digitalization of the processes at the political level and at, not just at the company level. I think companies, the private sector is faster in acquiring those things because there's a competition uh, happening. So they need to get uh, more productive, right? More efficiently. But I think politically speaking, I think it's interesting to think how blockchain and Web3 and all these things that are towards, you know, decentralizing information and, and access to it are going to affect the, the the public sector. I think I think that's interesting. And like, it's interesting that you have those two interests specifically and, and in the region. And, and I read a report the other day saying that Latin America is like one of the biggest regions with the, the largest amount of users. In Argentina specifically, the largest amount of uh, crypto users or crypto followings. I don't know if it has to do with you know the political climate and economic climate in in Argentina right now, but it's it's also interesting. <laughs> uh, when I when I read that, I was like, oh, I didn't know much. I personally am not that familiar with Web three. I I need to get on the I need to hop on the trend, but it's it's interesting like the applications of it. You know, there is and and that's one of the reasons of why I'm also 
optimistic about Latin America, and it's a great example of why Argentina is such a uh, early adopter of, of blockchain. Is this this paradox that says that, for example, if you are uh, 15 minutes away of a place, you would walk, right? Yeah. If you are 30 minutes away, you would not walk, you will take a car. And if you go by car, it will take you five minutes to get there. The paradox is that being worse, in this sense, being further away, made you to be closer because you would end up reaching in five minutes instead of 15 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. So um, the Latin America didn't, couldn't join the industrial revolution and, and we are like far ahead, far behind in, in lots of developments uh, and specifically Argentina, like the, the local currency is a mess and that's one of the, one of the main reasons Today is Monday, for example, the Argentinian peso on Friday was at more or less 500 and now it's like at 750, it's like yeah. <laughs> from Friday to Monday. Yeah. There were a specific cost, but what I mean is that uh, that's why one of the reasons of why we are such early adopters of blockchain and, and, and cryptocurrencies are because of our local currencies. I mean, so one of the reasons of why we have so, so much fertile soil for example, and and, uh, like, and we are only a few people and we are our natural resources are so good is because we haven't exploited them. Mm -hmm. And we haven't exploited them because we we were we are far behind the, the industrial revolution. So interestingly uh, being far behind might enable us to be closer. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. That's a great ending, Pablo. So appreciate it. Uh, and yeah, it was nice talking to you. Very nice talking to you. For, thanks for the invitation. This was a really interesting conversation to me because I learned not only about how they look at startups and how they evaluate founders depending on the stage of the company, um, but also because we talked a lot about overall how Latin America is doing, what type of trends um, Pablo sees for the future. And I think it was really interesting to see um, and hear his perspective on, on the region and also like not just Latin America per se, but emerging markets overall. I hope you enjoyed this episode and come back next week for